What's going on, everyone? My name is Corey Behrens, and you are listening to the Simplistic Views podcast, where I explore the lives and the works of digital media marketers and content creators. Today, I am joined by Chris Baca, who believes in a world that encourages each of us to bring our gifts to the table. He also hopes to inspire others to share their gifts so that we can all feel a deeper sense of empowerment, belonging, and fulfillment. He's also a YouTuber, podcaster, part owner of Cat and Cloud Coffee in Santa Cruz, California, a former barista champion, and so much more. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, okay, for the audience's sake, let's kind of backtrack. And can you explain who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, we'll start with what, because that's always easier. The what's always easier than the who. So day to day, I run a coffee company with two of my friends, Cat and Cloud in Santa Cruz. And our mission is to inspire connection by creating memorable experiences. So coffee is our main product. It's something that we're incredibly passionate about. You know, we all have loved coffee in so many different ways for so long. Um, and we're also really focused on what it feels like when people come to get coffee, right? Um, products only half of any, or not, maybe not even half of anything that you do. So we spend a lot of time thinking about how, how to think from the other side of the counter, looking at things from the guest perspective. So that's kind of what we do. That's the bulk of my day to day. And then so many other things I love. I mean, if I had to sum them up really quickly, writing is probably one of my favorite pastimes to help get my ideas out there. Skateboarding is how I kind of clear my mind and reset to my center self. I just love sharing ideas mostly. I like learning things and then sharing those with other people. So hopefully someone who else is learning something new doesn't have to go through all of the pain that I went through. <laughs> Dude, and you guys do like, I mean, you yourself and then part of, you know, Cat and Cloud too, like do a really good job at it, sharing who you are and what you guys do on social media. So that's one of the reasons why I thought it'd be cool to have you on and kind of explore that. So, all right, Chris, are you ready to go back in time? Yes, absolutely. hundred okay. so, percent. Uh, back, I'm not sure exactly the timeline, but like, let's go very back to the beginning to old plantation coffee. How did this coffee shop shape your future experience in coffee? Oh, geez. Wow. How do you even know about that? I found it online, brother. This guy. Yeah. So the first coffee shop job I got, it was a complete accident. Honestly, it's like this coffee shop was down the street from where I lived. It was like a couple blocks from my high school and just a few more blocks from my house. And I used to go there with my mom when I was a kid. So we drank coffee every day. And then on the weekends, we would go to this place that was called Plantation, which is where I later had my first job. And we'd get fancy coffee. And I didn't know what it was, but I just like, I was like, this is cool. It's interesting. I would get a mocha. I was into the mocha game super hard. And Honestly, when I started working there, which I thought was just going to be a part-time summertime job, I was between things and I needed a little bit of an escape or a new beginning rather. And I was never thinking like, oh yeah, this is going to be my forever job. So I don't know if it shaped, it kind of laid the foundation for the context of coffee for me, but it wasn't hugely influential other than it got me in the door and it allowed me a space to kind of play around a little bit. You know, it was one of those classic quintessential 90s cafes. It was probably pretty advanced for its time, but it's nothing close to what you see as far as uh, specialty coffee 
now, but it was kind of where I started to fall in love with the idea of what espresso could be. It's like this curiosity. Okay. It's really bad, but it's kind of sexy. And I think it could taste really good with enough care and attention. So it just kind of sparked that thing in my brain. I love that. And is that where you met Tony? Oh gosh. Yes. Tony came in. Oh man. Tony was that guy. He was a scene. Tony was amazing. So do you know him? I don't know. I, I just read a little bit about him. So yeah, maybe even give the, you know, the audience some context about who Tony is. Yeah. I mean, I guess Tony was kind of my one, my biggest gateway friend into this world of specialty coffee. So when I had my first job there, this dude walked in and he was just way too slick. Like he was way too cool. We're in the Central Valley in California. There's nothing there. And this dude was, I'm like, this guy's not from here. He's from the city. He's from like San Francisco or he's, he's just not, I don't know. He doesn't fit. It was, it was odd. And he's just this really huge enigmatic personality. He's loud and boisterous and he can make you feel really intense emotion. And sometimes they're really good. And sometimes it's kind of scary. Um, but this was this loud, crazy guy who had plans to open a cafe of his own. And he was, I think he was in there just seeing who was in town, who was interested in coffee on more than just a base level mm-hmm. and came to talk to those people who seemed like they were just a little bit more on the level. And I was one of them. Cause even though we didn't know anything, I've always had this idea that whatever job you're doing, you should do it to the best of your ability. Try to find out as much about it as you can, not only because you get to do a better job, but because it makes work way more fun. Like I never understood the, Oh yeah, I'll just clock in and clock out. Like I get that some people have this dream that work should be easy, mm-hmm. but it honestly, I don't know. It just sounds kind of boring. No. Yeah, I definitely agree. Chasing after it. Like even like, you know, even if you're not like, you know, initially good at it, but you can feel like you have a sense of belonging inside of this maybe culture or something like that, just pursuing the education behind it and learning more about it. Again, I can say you can fall in love with it. Oh, for sure. I mean, you're going to be somewhere for eight hours, right? You're going to be there eight mm-hmm. hours. Like, what are you going to do for eight hours? Just be completely bored or waiting. It's a long eight hours if you're just waiting for the time when you get off. It's a fun eight hours if you can get into whatever you're doing, even if it wasn't something that you had an initial passion for. It's Nothing's that boring. So you can figure it out. So he had, a Tony had some coffee education, was plugged into the industry before, and he just kind of, picked me up and he was my first coffee friend and took me on all these coffee adventures. You know, I went to my first coffee trade show with him. We went to, I went on my first coffee crawl in San Francisco with him. So he's just kind of introducing me to this culture, which would later become something that was like a huge part of my life. Okay. And so back in, I believe it's 2005, you're looking to maybe like relocate and you're thinking about moving to Portland. Um, but you happen to meet somebody who told you about ritual, uh, you know, what's that all about? That's a weird, yeah, that's a really, there's multiple stories nested in there. So this is one of those butterfly effect stories, I guess. And hopefully it's interesting. Um, I'd been to ritual before they opened in 2005. And I, by that time I'd been working at that little shop for a while. And my passion for coffee had just like grown and grown and grown and grown and I had gone through this gateway, which was competing in my first barista competition, which is a whole different situation. And that was this eye-opening experience because I got introduced to people who were really doing it because you get excited about something. 
you're pouring all your energy into it, but you don't have a community around it. And mm-hmm. you show up and you're like, yeah, I think I'm kind of good at this. I'm pretty good. Like it's a good chance I could win this thing. You know, people don't know I'm like the dark horse mm-hmm. and then you show up and it's apparent and it's that you are like not the dark horse. You are just the new guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got to play your role. It's the opposite of, uh, of imposter syndrome, right? Exactly. It was really overconfident syndrome. Like I had crushing it syndrome. I was going to crush it so hard. I couldn't even deal, but I got introduced to a lot of people through that world of competition and one of the people, one, one person that I didn't even meet at the time, but I met shortly after. So they break down the competition circuit. It's in the regionals and then you have nationals. So the regional was in Petaluma and the nationals that year were in Charlotte. So when I went to nationals, this dude, Dwayne Sorensen walked up to me. So Dwayne, he doesn't work there anymore, but he's the person who founded Stumptown Coffee, which is they're now owned by like um, a big holding company that also owns Pete's and Intelligentsia. There's like a bunch of these mm. coffee companies that are owned by the same people, but he was the driving force behind Stumptown, you know, ran it for a long time. was definitely running it at that time out of Portland. And he came up to me and he was just like, hey, I'm Dwayne. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I know who you are, bro. Like you're basically like a rock star. And he said, I saw you compete in Petaluma. I was like, oh, yeah, I was there. He's like, yeah, you did a really good job. And I was like, wow, man, thanks. I, I appreciate that a lot. And he gave me his card and he wrote his number on it. He's like, if you're ever in Portland, hit me up. Like, give me a call. I was like, sweet. Ooh, All right. Okay, cool. So I did that. Um, I hit him up. I was like, hey, I'm actually going to be up there, you know, in I can't remember how long, a month or two. Let me know if you want to meet up. I know you're super busy, whatever. So I just totally thought he was just being nice. I was like, this dude's never going to meet up with me. But he did. He met up with me at the Annex, which is kind of their coffee exploration place. So they, it's not a coffee shop per se. They do cuppings at regular times, do stuff with weird brew methods. So we met up, did a cupping, hung out for a little bit. And then I bounced out. And through that, I had been having this conversation with him i was like hey i'm thinking of moving to portland i really want to make a career in coffee and it seems like that's where shit's happening it's you know it's huge cafe scene over there he's like totally i'll set you up with an interview with one of my managers like pass the whole thing along so i was like cool that's awesome i'm gonna move to portland and at the same time that that whole thing was going like a weekend or two after that I went to San Francisco to go pick up my friend from the airport. He has family in Germany. He's got dual citizenship. So he visits all the time. So I went to pick him up, got started like ridiculously early. I was like, I'm going to go to the city and just kind of get coffee, hang out. So I ended up going to Ritual and I met Eileen who owns it at the competition before. And she was like, oh, you were at the competition. I said, yeah, yeah. So how's it going? How's coffee in that little weird city that you live in? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Coffee kind of sucks in that little weird city that I live in, but I'm, I think I'm going to move to Portland. And she says, why? I was like, well, cause I'm going to, I want to do this coffee thing. And that's where it's going on. She's like, so you don't have to move to Portland to work in coffee. You should just come work here. And I was like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah, yeah, totally. So we exchanged contacts. And then she called me a couple hours later 
and said like, Hey, I'm pretty sure I just offered you a job without running it by my uh, partner first. So could you come back for an interview in a couple of days? <laughs> and I did. And that was one of those weird, like happenstance things. So I'm pretty sure if Dwayne would have emailed me back like a couple of days earlier, there's a pretty good chance that I would have started my coffee career in a completely different state, state, completely different city. And then who knows what happens from there, you know, like, yeah. but San Francisco felt more comfortable, you know, it's in California. It was easier to make that transition. And I really liked what ritual was doing at the time too. I mean, I would have been in love with working either, but that was just one of those weird things when you think about it, like, damn, I could have been a completely different human. Maybe. Yeah. You uh, would have been in Portland and like, I feel like it's always kind of rainy there, but it's like vibey. So and uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen Portlandia before, but the 90s never died in, 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 in Portland. So, like, you could have been living your 90s dream, bro. Uh, I'd be living the life. I'd be real cool in Portland. <laughs> so uh, your title at Ritual was uh, you ended up being, like, a trainer, correct? Yeah, I did a lot of coffee education. So, Chris, you were a three-time finalist in the United States Barista Championship. Uh, let's uh, take a trip back to 2012, where you were, uh, your overarching theme was to buy was like basically reducing CO2 output and wastewater pollution by teaching farmers how to properly develop natural and honey-processed coffees, in addition to washed coffees, thus promoting an environmentally sustainable coffee industry. Why is it important to you to educate others on environmental sustainability in the coffee industry? Well, coffee has so many points of connection that just kind of get glazed over. So in preparing for any kind of competition, I'm always really driven to have a theme. Like each competition performance has a theme. I feel pretty strongly about if you're on stage, it's cool to entertain and it's cool to make coffee, but you have a, an obligation to educate as well. So every year that I did, I'm trying to pick out something. And that year I'd been getting close with this dude named Graciano and Graciano Cruz. He's got coffee farms in El Salvador and Panama. And he is just, uh, I mean, he is a huge advocate for environments, environmental sustainability. Cause he's, mm. it's interesting when you see how coffee is produced. So at a, at any given coffee mill in traditional washed coffee processing, there's a lot of water used and it's not only the water used, but once you run the water through the depulper and it kind of interacts with the mucilage and the coffee, you're left with a bunch of wastewater that is really, really toxic. So if you dump the wastewater out, you know, it's got to go somewhere. And if there's not a huge infrastructure for it, which there isn't in a lot of producing countries, it ends up, you know, in vegetation, destroying vegetation or hurting plants or hurting animals that, you know, drink the water. So to say that I'm like environmental sustainability, like guru is completely false. Like, I think this stuff's interesting, but this was mm -hmm. my option to, or like my opportunity to take someone else's mission, a really good mission that I could totally relate to. I'm like, Come, let's take this and tell as many people as possible about it. So I, I tried really hard, although I didn't have the money to do it um, at the time. When I started out to do that performance, I was like, oh, here's a cool idea. When you're competing in a barista competition, you're using coffee, you're using water because you got to wash dishes all the fucking time. Um, you're using energy and electricity after hours. So I was like, I wonder what it could 
look like to gather all of this data and then plant X amount of trees and get the barista competition process from A to Z certified as carbon neutral. There was just an idea. So a friend of mine hooked me up with this. Um, I can't even remember who the group was, but I had this two hour conversation with this person. I was like, this is what I'm trying to do. How do we do it? And it ended up being too complicated and too expensive for someone at my, who was like in my state. They're like, man, we could oversee this whole process and do the checks and balances, but it's not going to be super cheap for this one-off mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I was trying really hard to integrate the whole thing. But I, I think the bigger message, aside from just strictly the sustainability piece, is just kind of shining that light on different challenges and different things that pop up in coffee growing regions or different things to take note of that we can be responsible for in a product that's something that most people forget about, right? It's like, you got coffee. I paid $3 for it. And then I don't have to think about it other than that. Um, And I don't think everybody has to think about it, but there's a group of people who do need to be thinking about the things that are connected to it. Because if we don't think about those things, you know, all this stuff is built on an ecosystem. We're not going to be able to enjoy the really awesome coffees that we get to enjoy for a relatively affordable price. We're not going to be able to enjoy them for very long, or we're not going to be able to enjoy them in good conscience. And, you know, being able to enjoy, see, I, in college, I worked uh, on the green brewery project with, through an environmental agency. So I went to uh, different breweries and I helped like kind of check CO2 levels um, or see where all the spent grain is going. So like, I kind of, when I was exploring what you did, it kind of like reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, respect. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild world out there and there's a, there's a lot of opportunity. So I was, I was really excited to do that. That year was, that year was fun, super fun. It was amazing because I was, and then even, so the third part of the, you serve three courses, like one's like a flight of four espressos, a flight of four traditional cappuccinos, and then the signature beverage, which is a drink of your own design. I was trying to figure out how to use components of that coffee. So that was a naturally processed coffee, which if this is a mini tangent, but it's super fun. Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah. Coffee. Uh, coffee is a fruit. So when it grows on the tree, it looks like a little cherry. So they'll often call it the coffee cherry. So you've got the skin, the cherry part on the outside, a little bit of mucilage and meat. And then the bean is actually the seeds that are inside. So in a naturally processed coffee, they'll take that whole cherry, lay it out to dry. And that kind of shrivels up around the beans, kind of like a grape turns into a raisin. And then they haul that off. So when they strip off that skin and naturally process coffees, since they don't go through that whole like wet process fermentation, you can actually repurpose the skin. So if you've ever been, some of the big box stores are starting to do it. Like Starbucks does it now. They offer a drink called Cascara. I've had that. Yeah. So that is a tea brewed with the, the skin of the coffee cherry. So in my signature drink, I was I used some cascara that was from that same lot of coffee in an effort to try to use as much of that particular coffee as possible and like minimize the whole waste A to Z. Yeah, I've had that uh, that drink. Um, there's a I was working in uh, Kansas City this summer and I ended up going to I think it's called the West Bottoms or something like that. And there's a coffee shop down there. They're kind of focused more on like motorcycles like they have a uh, like a motorcycle shop connected to their coffee shop it's pretty cool 
Um, but they uh, they had that drink and they're like, yeah, we just got this, you know, we're just like starting to offer it. You know, I, you know, I'd love to see what your thoughts were on the drink. Um, I To me, I'm not sure, like, I didn't personally like it that much. It was a little too, like, I'm not sure, like a little bitter and acidic-y or more acidic to me, but like, I could see how other people would enjoy it. Yeah, a bunch of people do different things with it in different ways, so. Okay. It's cool to see it pop up more and more. It's definitely not everyone's cup of tea or coffee. Yeah, ooh, ooh pun. Yeah. Puns. Um, I'm here ooh, for pun. you. Yeah, ooh. We're here. <laughs> So, uh, you know, like, I think at the very, like, foundation of education is storytelling. And, um, you know, you, I think, you know, I, I'd imagined with the, uh, with the collection of videos you have on YouTube, like, there's a bunch of, like, explainer videos. Um, so can you kind of talk about how you used YouTube as a platform to educate others um, about, like, basically, like, you know, how... Coffee, basically coffee in general, but also too, like when I go over, there's a, a coffee shop called Dash Coffee Roasters in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I had mentioned your name uh, to one of to one of the people that worked there, and like, oh yeah, I know who Chris Baca is. We watched some of his videos uh, while we were being trained as baristas. Uh, so can you talk about how like YouTube has been a you know a source for you to kind of educate others? Yeah, it happened very unintentionally. Um... The first time I made any kind of video tutorial situation was literally I was looking for coffee information, scrolling the video after video after video after video. And I was just kind of bummed that no one was making really well focused, concise enough to be digestible, but not, but nuanced enough to have enough knowledge to where you're like, oh, I actually learned something. It just didn't seem like it exists, and I was pretty upset about it. So I definitely didn't start down it trying to think of it as a marketing thing or, or even YouTube. I was like, I'm just going to make this thing that I think needs to exist in the world because it's what I would want to see if I was first starting to make coffee. Okay. If, I, you know, if, if I wanted to learn about how to make a pour over, how to make a French press or learn where coffee comes from, what would I be looking for? And it was funny because I was making them and just kind of throwing them out there. And I had no idea that people were even watching them because uh, when I've, I've made some of the videos several times, cause I made a whole, uh, like a whole, uh, what do you call it? Like a collection of videos when I was working at Verve that I don't know if they exist anymore, anywhere they're on Vimeo somewhere. Maybe. Yes. They, I believe they do. Yeah. yeah. So we made those whole videos and when I was making those at the time, we were just kind of putting them up, putting them up, putting them up. I was working in marketing there and I didn't really think much of it because I kind of had this clean slate. They're like, this is job. We need someone in marketing. We don't know what it means, um, but you can maybe do it. And I'm like, sick. I don't know what that means either. Um, but the SCA, the Specialty Coffee Association annual convention and trade show that happened the year after we started putting up those videos. I noticed that people already will recognize me because of the barista competitions I've done really well in them, but there was like this whole different level of, Oh, like you're the dude in the video. You're the guy in the video. Your videos are cool. I use them to train my staff. Is that cool? And I'm like, yeah, that's what they're for. I mean, they're not, they're not for me. I already know. Um, they pat you on the back and say, dude, you've changed my life. It was, I mean, it was really cool because I had no, 
idea that so many people would end up using them. And it was, it was amazing. So I was like, Oh, I guess there's an opportunity for not just sharing, but just, I don't know, just putting stuff out there. And then that kind of, it spun into more being YouTube focused when we started opening the business. Um, so when we started opening and building cat and cloud, I was like, man, I have to document this much, for, much for the same way. So it's always this one part of it is rooted in service. And the other part of it is deeply rooted in selfishness. And where those things align is kind of the stuff that I make to it's like, I know that one day I'm going to be hopefully really old and it'll be cool if I looked back on, you know, 2015 and 2016, the years when we're opening the business and I could watch videos and see us um, carrying these huge burlap sacks out of the trunks of our car into our friend's roastery and then setting up this makeshift roastery and handwriting a thousand labels and, you know, cleaning up this godforsaken crazy mess that we created in just a few hours like i need to i need to remember those things because it's going to be super it's just going to make me feel good and then on the other hand there's going to be a group of people who are curious about starting a project of their own and it's really hard when you see businesses that are fully formed you know you pick any business that you look up to and it's easy to just imagine that they've been in the state that they've been in forever it's hard to see the growth, you know, the bigger they are, the harder it is. You know, you look at a company like Nike and you're like, yeah, they're Nike. They've always been Nike and they're always going to be Nike. They're this huge, epic, crazy business. And I thought we had an opportunity to, as our grand brand grows and grows and grows for people to look back and be like, okay, I see what they are now. But I also see that it was just three guys with no location and one bag of coffee, borrowing equipment and just kind of figuring it out. And that gives you hope. At least it would for me, if I was starting a project, I think it's cool to know that, you know, people are starting in the same place. What's, what's the smallest little tiny step that you can make. Cool. Take that step. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be crazy. It just has to mean something. And if you can get to that step, then you can take the next one and then you can take the next one. So that was that was where it spun into, man, there's so much to catalog because there's so many lessons to share. Well, I like the transparency on it because like, I mean, like it's, I, I'm pretty sure you guys, you know, kind of showed your trials and tribulations about like, you know, what failed and what, you know, what didn't work. Um, so you, you didn't like mask like, oh, it's all sunflower and roses down here. Um, so I, I think, thank you for that. Yeah, um, no doubt. <laughs> So when you, uh, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, you know, getting Cat and Cloud established in 2015, 2016, um, and you have this collection of, of YouTube videos that are doing, you know, fairly well, uh, that are seen by a lot of people, um, you know, how were you able to kind of uh, use that and you, or use your ability to kind of um, market yourself on YouTube? And how are you able to uh, translate that experience into uh, marketing Cat and Cloud? Mm, great question. Um... Wow. Jeez. That's such a good question. I mean, the fuck, why are you asking me such good questions? Oh, bro. I'm leaving you speechless. No, you're great. Um, I think, oh gosh. Well, there's, there's two entities that kind of coexist that never completely merged and we're kind of merging them now. So on, on one hand, 
the YouTube channel that most people are looking at currently or the one that you're referring to is just my personal YouTube channel, which I've always put stuff on. And Cat and Cloud, we were kind of pushing a lot of stuff on Instagram, but there wasn't this huge switch to where like, this is Cat and Cloud YouTube channel now, because part of creating these things is also, you know, my personal spin on it or a little bit of my personal release. And at least at the time, there's not always a direct translation from the self to the entity of the business. Like I might want to put something up there that just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, doesn't have anything to do with coffee, which has definitely happened. But I mean, being able to log the process, you know, just having for probably two years, 90% of the videos on there were about Cat and Cloud and the process of building it. I mean, just having it there is just a huge, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of leveraging the brand or we're going to grow it. It's nice when it comes time to make a, a sale. I don't think in terms of selling too much, but it's nice to have some sort of familiarity going on when you bring something new into the market that people can look at and be like, I think this looks familiar. Where have I seen this before? Oh yes. This brand has popped up in these videos over and over again. And honestly, the biggest way that it helped is in wholesale if I'm tying it directly to something to the business. So there's the aspect of Cat and Cloud that lives in Santa Cruz, which has been amazing since day one. The neighborhood that we opened in was the neighborhood that we worked in for years and years and years. And people knew who myself and Jared, one of my business partners were, and we'd been baristas in that context. And most of those people have no idea that my YouTube channel even exists. It's not a factor in that scenario, but we also sell coffee wholesale to other people who have cafes or grocery across the U S and sometimes internationally. And the, one of the most overwhelming comments that we get is when asked people, when we're asking people how they found out about us, it's either the podcast or my YouTube channel. And the great thing about both of those is that if you believe something or if you have an identity that's true to you and you just put that out there completely outside the context of selling, like we're sharing these stories on YouTube and on the podcast, just because we think they're valuable. They're not to try to convince someone to buy our coffee. They're just for people to learn from or not. They make the call. Someone goes down that rabbit hole and pulls on the thread of the stuff that you're creating and they're interested enough to be like, man, this looks really cool. I'm going to start a coffee company. I totally dig what these people are doing. I want that coffee. At that point, we don't have to sell coffee at all. People call us and they're like, you guys, the guys from the videos, right? Yeah, that's you guys are dope. Like, I want to buy your coffee. How do we make it happen? And that has been amazing because I've worked, I've had sales jobs before. I don't particularly love them. I don't like that's uh, normal sales life or like I got to increase pounds by 20% this quarter or it's a shit show or whatever. Um, so it's been really cool. It gives us the opportunity to work with people who believe the same stuff that we believe 
And it makes that vetting process much easier, easier because people are already tuning into what we're doing. So that's probably been the biggest asset, man. That was a great question. Yeah. And, uh, you're, you're, you, you say it in, uh, I think in some sort of podcast I listened to, uh, that you were on, um, you know, you don't look at it as marketing, you look at it as storytelling. Yeah, it really is. I mean, once, and some people probably don't make that distinction, but for me, when I think of marketing, it just doesn't feel as cool. It feels like something that you have to do. Like I have a business, so I have to market it. And in some ways that's true. I mean, it's absolutely true. If you have something that's worthwhile and you think it's going to bring value to someone else, like, yeah, you owe it to them to tell them about it. Um, but if you're not in that mindset, when you say marketing, it conjures up these like strange visions of clickbait or bots or whatever. So when we're kicking stuff around in the context of the organization, we always default to storytelling because that's really what we're passionate about. And then that, that becomes the marketing. Well, let's talk about passion real quick. Um, so you know, you and I had a one-on-one session sponsored by Square this summer, um, and we talked about Simon Sinek's, uh, you know, his why video. Um, can you talk about, you know, one, you know, what you're passionate about, and two, your why, and then three, we'll follow that up later on with uh, maybe like how we can walk through that exercise, um, you know, at home, stuff like that. Yeah, my passion and my why are kind of like this intersecting thing. So, I mean, if I was going to say passion, one of the things I'm most passionate about is sharing information, like sharing, teaching, educating, facilitating learning is probably the biggest, the best way to say it, because it's very rare that you teach someone else. It's more likely that you create an opportunity for them to make the discovery on their own. Um, and that's what I'm the most passionate about. And when I think of my why, it's, it's really, you know, it's in there. You, you kind of mentioned it in the beginning of the podcast, but I, I really feel passionate about inspiring other people to share their gifts. And it's really hard to put that into context or even understand what it meant. But a lot of this discovery, it's funny because a lot of the things I feel like you intuitively know when you're younger and there's no pressure on you to be anything that you're not and you just exist in your own little world, um, kind of go away and have their way of coming back around. And in starting Cat and Cloud and figuring out what it means to own a business and how best to, like, how do I, how do you how do you run this thing? Like how, like I had a fucking panic attack when we had the first orientation, right? So we have probably 55 ish employees now, four locations and a roastery, which is not big for a big company, but it's big for us. And I remember our first orientation, there were eight people and we had one location and I was just tripping. I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know how to do this. Like I can't be responsible for eight people. This makes no sense. Like, I don't get it. I don't know what, I'm going to stress out. So trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, how best to channel your creative energy, how best to inspire other people, how best to create this culture. And what I've come back to 
is, you know, I've tried all these different tactics. It's like, man, everybody's got strengths and weaknesses. Everybody's got a certain way of being or a certain thing, a certain gift that is their best method of operation, the way that they are when they're being like the truest to themselves. And I had to kind of relearn how to lean into those things in the context of the business and kind of shed the mentality of, okay, this is what I think a business owner is supposed to be. This is how business owners act. This is what business owners look like. This is how they talk. This is how they lead. I've read all the books that like none of it's working. I don't understand. Um, and I just became so excited when I started leaning into the things that felt natural to me and using the tools that I've had and crafted over the years. And the response to that was really awesome. I was like, Oh, like actually being myself is working, like doing the things that are, you know, I've got that thing that feels really true to me in my heart and like blending that with the stuff that I'm learning in my brain creates this like superpower laser beam. And that's like where the magic of the why comes in. It's like, everybody's got their version of that superpower laser beam. And I want to see it like not just for the person's benefit, but for my benefit too. It's like, I want people to f like know what it feels like to go into a place and be like, I can own my truth and be myself and make a positive impact in the world. Like that, that can happen. But I also want to see the things that people create when they're in that zone. And I think that's one of the things that makes so many brands kind of uninteresting because it's really easy to look at what works for other people. It's really easy to copy and paste something and play it safe. You know, you open Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or pick your poison, whatever it is. There's a template for all of these things, right? I can create content that looks like this. I can craft stories that look like this. I can build brand logos and mock-ups that look like this, but are they, are they really me? And like, how long are they going to work? Because if they're just looking like whatever's happening right now, and I don't really understand how to get my vision out there in the world, I'm just copy paste. I'm like doomed to play follow the leader for the rest of my life. And more annoyingly doomed to create things that don't actually make my heart sing. I'm just a, you know, plugging things into a template. So that's when I talk about inspiring people to share their gifts or leaning into the things that make them them. That's what I'm talking about. Again, there we have this like combination of like, I want to be of service, but it's also selfishly, I want to see what they're going to make when they're in their fucking zone, because those things are beautiful. Those things resonate. That does resonate. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure, you know, you don't want to be a drone and just like, you know, say things or perceive yourself online as something that you're not, because ultimately people are going to find out about you. Like they're, you know, they're going to realize like, oh, this dude or this chick or this person is not like actually in love with the process or in love with what they're doing because people can smell it a mile away. Yeah. Your intentions will be revealed for sure. And then there's, I'm sure there's tons of cases where depending on what you want, you know, maybe you can build a brand, do some generic marketing, create a thing, and then it exists. And maybe it's even profitable and that's fine. And it's just there, but it's probably not going to be one of those things that people look at and be like, oh my gosh, that makes me feel so, ah, 
makes me want to go do something. Like, let's go do something. Yeah. You know, like that's the kind of organization that we always wanted to have something that inspires other people. So that's, yeah, that that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that 100% brother. I feel it. I love that. Um, you know, how do people kind of look into themselves and, and figure out, you know, this is my unique gift. How do I bring this to the table? Yeah. Two ways. I actually, I'm, I'm having a, I'm remembering our conversation from earlier last year. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I said to you, maybe, or maybe I was just thinking about it in the context of you and never even told you, but Mm. if you're young, if you're new, if you don't know what's happening, right. It, it may be fraught to do kind of like the classic why discovery. So look at Simon Sinek's stuff for the full scope of everything. But in the classic why discovery, you're kind of gathering stories, um, times, places, things that created an emotional charge to you and sharing those stories with a partner is what he prescribes, you know, mm-hmm. sharing them with a partner and the partner can kind of listen, ask questions and then kind of produce what he calls the golden thread, this theme that ties a lot of these things together that you might not even see because you're so close to it. Um, So I did a couple of those and they were interesting, but the thing that's helped me the most and the thing that I would probably, and I'm not saying I'm an expert on this at all, the thing that I would recommend to people who are just getting going is to pick something and do it, just do some work, like, see how it makes you feel experiment with a bunch of different things for example i used to draw a lot i used to i was never a particularly good artist but i like to draw and last night i i had this huge i bought this big canvas and i got some paints and some brushes and stuff and i was like i'm gonna paint this thing we have a podcast studio i was like we need to put some stuff in the studio i was like i'm gonna make a picture um immediately like when I started putting like brush stroke down to canvas like I just like smiled like so I literally smiled I like noticed myself doing it in real time I was like like this little kid just so happy and I was like I was gonna say that's our innate being it's such a yeah it's such a foundational aspect of our psyche yeah and I when when things like that happen when you have that spontaneous, uncontrollable response, whether it be positive or negative. I think paying attention to that is, it's huge. There's so, so many ways you could go in any different direction. You know, my YouTube channel is fairly casual, but I make what I want to make. I put it out there. That's been its own journey. I have friends who do YouTube and they are, um, they get excited by, looking through the comments, reading all of them, um, taking that information, using that to inform what they're going to make. They're really in the analytics and like, that's exciting for them. That's like an exciting part of the creation process is doing that research. And so they have two different versions of YouTube because I will fucking never do that. Like I, I can't stand that stuff that if that's what making videos means to me, like that's not at all what I want to do. Like that ain't it chief. That ain't it. Yeah, the video is a vehicle. So, but for those people, like my friend Mike, oh my God, he loves it. He's like, you'll see him, he'll be showing me this stuff and he's showing me his analytics. And it's, 
He's not showing it to me in the context of this is how much money I'm going to make off ads. He's like genuinely curious and excited by the process. He's like, this is crazy. Look at this. Did you see this? It's so, I'm like, damn, dude, you love this stuff. He's all, it's cool. <laughs> it's so fun. I love it. The metrics, brother. Yeah. And I think that's rad. So just pay, just paying attention. I know that's the most generic thing. It's, it's hard. So probably some combination of both. It's, it's really easy to lie to yourself, especially when you're having some success with a certain thing that's maybe not making you feel the way you want to feel, but it's important to note if you don't feel the way you want to feel. That's so true. Let's go back to your drawing. Um, so I just want to, you know, clear up the water for those who don't know, Chris, uh, he has a little figure that, you know, says things on his Instagram. Is there an official name to this little man? I'm trying to find the, um, oh yeah. Here's this little book I made. Ah, yes. So, no. So the this thing doesn't have a name, but there's a couple different versions of it. So I drew him first on an invoice, like a, we were shipping out coffee and I, I still have the original drawing somewhere, but it was way more weird looking than this. It was just a box with this little character in it. And then I wrote selfie on it. And I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. So I took a picture of it and then sent the invoice out. And then I just started drawing this person in all these different situations. And the initial thought was, this is me exploring these different situations. And then it kind of morphed over time and it keeps morphing as time goes on. So here, I'll... Yeah, yeah. if you want to talk about the... Yes, on audio, it's not going to make any sense to you. But um, (laughs) if you see this little blob, Oh my goodness. So there's, oh, yeah, this one's good. Um, there's these blobs and then there's this blob with a hat. So in the modern era, the blob with the hat is me saying explicitly, this is me. Um, if it doesn't have the hat, if it's just this ambiguous figure, the idea is that it could be anybody. It could be you. So if you're you know, scrolling through Instagram and see one of these little doodles or drawings or situations, that I create, you can be like, oh man, I've been in a situation like that. And I felt that kind of way. I totally get it. So the ambiguity allows other people to kind of project themselves into that. Mm, okay. And you're disseminating a lot of like uh, good information and like uh, things about how people can kind of discover themselves or discover what they want to do. Um, you know, what, what is that book about that you have right now, right near you? This okay, so this is just this kind of this is a tiny book. I'll just actually tell you what it is. It's a tiny book on business, it's a tiny book for people with big ideas. And this I made a year ago or a year and a half ago, maybe that's probably two years ago now. Yeah, I think it was two years ago. I got invited to speak. Uh, with a high school entrepreneurial business class. So someone in the class knew Cat and Cloud and looked at some of the stuff that we did in media and in business. And like, we have this class that meets, would you be willing to come down and talk to the class? I was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Like high school sounds fun. So I tried to create this little takeaway. I I asked him, I was like, well, what, you know, I could come in and talk about a lot of things. If you could give me maybe 10 questions, you know, talk to the class. What are 10 things that you would really like to hear about? 
and we can kind of short form answer those. And he gave me the list and I wanted to make a, I wanted to make one card, a card that had a note with those 10 things on it and just kind of little cliff notes, something that you could put in your wallet or put in your pocket, this little reference guide, just like a takeaway. And I was trying to make it and it just wouldn't work. I was like, ah, it doesn't work. It's too long, but it doesn't need to be that long. I was like, but I can make a tiny little book. So I ended up making, you know, a couple hundred of these books, gave them to the people in the class. And then we sold the rest on the website and it was super fun. I really enjoyed the process. It was rad. So we're going to see one day, maybe like in an art, an art exhibit, classical art of uh, Chris Baca. That would be great. I got to work on my NFT. Um, yes, I, I'm trying to dive more deeper into that. I admittedly have no idea what's going on with that. I have a friend that uh, he's from New York and he last year took a picture like during like when quarantine first started. He took a picture of a cherry blossom tree every single day that uh, and, and like he was able to combine them into a gif that made it show like its growth. He uh, it went on auction and uh, it sold that NFT in specific sold for like six thousand dollars. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you is I have a friend who is really well versed in these things. And I'm actually going to call him after we get done because we've been talking and I, I just think it's curious. I'm just curious about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to go ahead. Let's go ahead and like wrap up the podcast. Is there anything that, um, you know, you would like to tell others about, you know, maybe something that we didn't talk about and tell it to the audience? Oh my gosh. I don't know. There's so many things. I no. I feel good. I think you asked great questions. I, yeah, you did a good job, man. You got, you got inside my brain. You stumped me a couple of times. I got you. I got you, brother. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the podcast. If you'd like to know more about Chris or Cat and Cloud, I will have some information in the description. But other than that, thank you so much for listening or watching and have a great day.